Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Playful Humans podcast. I'm your host, Mike Montague, and you can find more about Playful Humans at PlayfulHumans.com, where we talk to people who play for a living, like Sherry Saganor. She is an audiobook narrator and producer, voiceover artist. You can find her at SherrySaganor.com. We'll put all those links in the show notes if you need to find them as well. Uh, she does cool audio books, and we'll talk about her career as a musician and other maybe uh, boring office jobs and how she got out of those to design the life and career of her dreams so that she can play for a living. Here we go. joke of the week here sherry it for you especially it's brought to you by the where's waldo audio books uh can you share a little bit of your uh narration from the where's waldo audiobook series yes i can here we go where not here not here not here not here not here all right there you go uh the where's waldo audiobooks uh the official joke of the week is what do you call an apology written in dots and dashes that's remorse code <laughs> love right. it oh, love it those are good. I loved your uh, I loved your Where's Waldo audiobooks. Uh, I'm going to use that one uh, for sure. I don't know if the uh, remorse code joke is that good for people to steal, but if you have a, uh, you know, nine-year-old in your life, uh, they might enjoy that one. Uh, Sherry, tell us a little bit about audiobook narration and, and producing. Obviously, we all know that they're a thing. People love audiobooks uh, and, you know, podcasts like this one, you can take it with you. You can uh, listen while you're doing other things like cleaning the house, working out, going for a, a walk. So people love it. And I think there is obviously an art and a, a skill to it that I, we've all heard bad audiobooks and, and good audiobooks. So how did you get into it? And what do you think makes it a, a cool career and a, a cool product? So, yes, I am definitely a playful human. I help bring authors written words to life. And as you said, I am an audiobook narrator and producer. So uh, it's great. I narrate in all different kinds of genres, uh, including fiction, although I specialize in nonfiction. So let's see, most recently I've done, I just did a memoir. I did a mystery set in Oklahoma before that, I did an audiobook about how to sell books on Amazon. Um, and before that, um, a thriller. So all different kinds of genres. Um, for some reason, those sell better than my Where's Waldo. Um, yeah. I can't imagine why. <laughs> I guess people get bored because all it is is not here, not here, not here, not here. But it would um, be really exciting when you go, that's Waldo, uh, about five minutes. <laughs> no, if anybody made it, <laughs> no, we're joking. That was completely made up, but completely I, made I love up. that. It does get very meta though. I'm sure there are, uh, you know, I, I guess there's lots of questions that I could ask you about it and we could jump right into that, which is like, uh, do you find some of them interesting? Do people script out what to do with graphs and pictures and, and things, or, uh, you obviously some books, you can't skip that kind of stuff. 
And then I thought your audio book about how to sell books on Kindle was kind of meta too, where I could see there being an audio book about how to make audio books, which, you know, you might even write that, uh, that would become very strange. How do you handle weird things that aren't easy for the uh, auditory medium? So would you like to hear about the process that it takes to create an audiobook, like how it yeah. gets done? Um, because, yeah, frankly, a lot of people think that you simply um, push play on your iPhone, push, get the record app going and read the book. And then somehow you can sell it on Amazon. And that's certainly I, that's understandable. But the truth is, it's much more complicated. Um, I personally help. I help other authors create their own audiobooks, um, but I also create them soup to nuts um, if they hire me to do that. The process, however, is the same. So you start with a finished manuscript of a uh, of a book, and then what I do is annotate it for um, performance, especially if it's fiction. And the first thing you need um, some equipment. You need a mic that's good enough. It doesn't have to be a super expensive mic, but you need a mic that's certainly better than um, the thing that's coming off your earbud. Uh, and you need some software. You need a uh, you need some recording software, and then you need some editing and processing software. But other than that, like those are the tools of the trade. So the whether it's me doing it or you doing it or anyone else doing it, the process is you um, record usually a chapter at a time and you will hit play. And then if you make a mistake, you can either read through it and edit later or you can stop and re-record what we call um, punch and roll. Uh, and that's usually the preferred method. So audiobooks are usually published a chapter at a time. And that's what I do, a chapter at a time. So let's say that I've done a chapter um, at the end, then I go back and proof it. Uh, you listen through the whole thing again and check for mostly misreads and mispronunciations. Then after that's done, you've catch the mistakes. You have to go back and re-record. Um, that's called punching in. You punch in uh, and correct the mistakes. Then uh, you master it, which means you have special software that takes out things like outside noise, mouth noise, clicks, um, stray noises of all kinds, and also evens out the tone. So basically that it sounds good when it comes in your ears. And then you submit that to a publisher um, of audiobooks and they post it on sale uh, in various um, various formats. So uh, I sometimes subcontract out the proofing and the engineering of my books, but that's the process, no matter who's doing it. Yeah. And I think there's lots of follow-up questions I, I have there, but I, I think let's roll back for people that probably haven't done it before, because I spent a lot of time on radio and, and podcasting, basically doing audio my, uh, my whole adult life. But I know a lot of people don't like the sound of their own voice. And so that's why they hire voiceover artists. But I think people also don't maybe understand that there's a skill to it, that you're adding uh, almost like voice acting and stuff to make sure that you're getting the right speed, emotion and, and slowing down for content Correct. that's complicated. There's a lot of skills there rather than just 
if you've never done it before hitting record, like, like you said, and, and plowing through the sentences, it's tough to sound like you're not reading when you're doing that. Right. Yes, actually, that's quite insightful. And it's exactly true. It is a performance. And that's, again, whether you're reading fiction uh, and creating multiple characters or a memoir where it's one woman's story or a man's story. Usually women narrate women's memoirs and men, but whatever. If it's a if it's a memoir and she's relating a single story, even something that's dry, like a chemistry textbook, all the elements that you just named, um, making it sound interesting through pacing, um, voice modulation. Um, and then, of course, if it's characters, giving each character a distinct voice that's recognizable. And something interesting is that you can't overdo it. This is what I've learned, um, especially speaking from other. I'm a trained musician, a singer, but my actor friends who are trained theater actors, for example, they say that their task is to scale back because you you the whole point with audiobooks is that you engage the listener and you keep the the uh, the listener engaged. You engage the listener and keep them listening, hopefully to the end. And the way you do that is through interest and minimizing distractions. You can't help it if the dog barks or your some some alarm goes off. But if they're in the story, nothing you want to do is going to distract them. And and so that's what all of that is about, that performance piece um, and all the elements that you mentioned, because you're right. They're all there. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the different voices because I feel like I really want to do this. I've, I've never done it before, but I used to do a lot of celebrity impressions uh, when I was a kid, impressions. And uh, I really want, I was just reading a story to one of my little cousins that's like five years old and I was doing all the voices of the different trains and he was cracking up and I would have a tendency to want to do that, but I would also be nervous. But one of the best audiobooks that I've ever heard was from one of my favorite creative authors, Douglas Adams, who does sci-fi. And it was one guy, but this one British actor uh, read all the different characters and the female characters with a female, you know, sounding voice. And to me, it was really funny. It was a little distracting the first time. I was like, well, I, I wasn't expecting that, but it added so much to the story. How do you decide when to give a character a different voice versus maybe just, you know, changing your inflection or making it sound like a quote? Right. So it's a process. Um, it doesn't surprise me that your one of your favorites was a narrator who was able to capture all the different characters and and be, make them distinct enough that you could distinguish who was talking, but not so much that you were, again, distracted. So I'll tell you a story that will illustrate what happens when I have to approach a new book where, with characters that I've never done. So I just narrated a mystery. And this mystery is uh, the protagonist is a woman from Oklahoma who speaks with an Oklahoma drawl. So that's one. Then there were a several male characters, um, all sort of from the same region. So you, I had to do things like not just um, lowering the voice. It's more about... Um, 
giving someone might have more of a Southern accent. Someone um, might speak a, in a little higher register pacing of the voice. Like if there's a if there's a character who speaks really drawn out and slow and laborious. So it really is not just about pitch, but other tricks that you can do. The hardest part, however, was um, not learning because I knew, but honing my Mexican-American accent. So mm. I had to do a female um, Mexican-American and then a male Mexican-American. And the, the male character was her boss, an editor of a newspaper. Um, and the female was just a woman in town who was part of the story. So what do you do, right? When you, uh, so what I did is I hired um, a dialect coach who's who was just fabulous and worked with him on what the, the, actually like the physical parts of creating an accent um, and practiced it. And so I learned the accent, but then you've got a layer on top of that. How are you going to make the male different than the female? So obviously the female is a little bit higher register, but um, you know, the, the male may speak a little more quickly and there's so many variations too. There's not one Mexican accent. There isn't. Um, so it was so much fun. It was grueling while I was going through it, but you know, now even more confidently, I can say I do these accents and, or this particular accent. So it's, it's a process. It, it really that's is, really cool. but it's and doable. I, it's fun and something that you can play with, which is what yeah, I love. If you're that's exactly right. everything it was so in much your own fun. voice, it wouldn't be as much fun or, or interesting for you. I wouldn't think, although that it's is still true. a really cool job. So that's where I wanted to go and roll back into your story. You mentioned that you were a singer and not necessarily an, an actor. So I do kind of feel like those are, are different skill sets, even though you're familiar with audio. And I found that's where most of the stuff for me has happened is when you learn in audio editing skills for radio, that means you can also do it for Internet radio or podcasts True. or for um, e-learning courses and other things that are not uh, what people would traditionally think in, in radio. Um, you learn how to do that stuff. Tell us about your career. What did you do, you know, out of school? Did you ever have the office cubicle job and have to pivot back and, and say, no, I, I want to be more creative than that? What was your story? So I spent my 20s as a professional musician um, and I was trained as a singer and a little bit as a guitar player. And I was at a place where there was really great. There was a music production and engineering um, department there at Berklee College of Music in Boston. And so I learned a lot about good sound, which I didn't really think. I would help would help me. Turns out it did. So later I was unintimidated by the technology of audio, but I studied um, music there. And when I got out of school, I was a working musician. So uh, and Congrats. I was not. I guess I mean, part of this podcast is about learning that you you can play as a creative. It doesn't mean you have to be a superstar. And what I learned from being a professional musician um, in my 20s, mostly doing like bread and butter general business band stuff. I did some commercials, but never moved to New York, never wanted to learn to move to New York. And what I learned from putting myself through music school was that I didn't want to be a professional singer. 
up on stage. So that left me with, well, what, what's next? And when you're a professional working singer, you usually living hand to mouth. I did not. And I said, I don't want to live. I want to see what it's like to have a steady job. And that's what led me to a cubicle job. You're absolutely right. I, uh, I said, okay, I, I'm interested in technology. I'm interested in networking and networking in terms of like computer infrastructure. And so I got a job working as a sales exec, a rep at a computer networking firm. And I was still using my voice because I was doing a lot of sales presentations, um, creating them and building relationships with the clients. Um, And then, so that was good, but uh, it was also not quite um, scratching that creative itch in the way that I wanted it to. So when I had my second child and frankly, the company imploded, it no longer exists. And I got out just before, you know, my options were completely worthless, although they were close. Um, And I said, okay, so these skills that I have. And the next thing I did, it's funny because the story is that I was really trying to figure out what do I want to do? I want to own my, I want to be an entrepreneur, just work for myself, be an individual contributor. And I was looking at my bookshelf and there was a book there that I bought 20 years ago. And it said, um, it said the elements of speech writing. And I thought, Hmm, the elements of speech writing. And so I Googled how to be, let's see, how to be a freelance speech writer. Even can you be a freelance speech writer, I think is what I typed in. And a result came back, how to be a freelance speech writer. Or no, it said, so you want to be a freelance speech writer. I read the article, contacted the guy who wrote it and said, yeah, I do. And the man became a mentor. So a little bit of resourcefulness, a little bit of putting myself out there. And it led to smart speeches, which was the, it was the, um, it was the speech writing business as that I ran for almost seven years. And I wrote speeches for CEOs and nonprofit leaders and then COVID hit. And you can imagine that there's not Not many people. Exactly. Not many people hiring um, speech writers to deliver public speeches in front of a live audience. So I had already been dabbling in, um, in uh, in the audiobook in that you know before covid but during that year and a half of isolation i really um, embraced it and i took all the skills that i'd learned from um from all the jobs and asked myself okay what's the most frankly playful creative fulfilling way that i can put this into a package that's really going to be fulfilling and um I knew someone who had done audiobook work and again, learned all I could about it, learned best practices, got my equipment. I, I mean, I had a bunch of unemployment money, so I built a <laughs> studio in my home. I hired some coaches and um, learned how to do it. And it has been a culmination of everything that has come before it. And I love it. I really do feel like I'm expressing myself in a way that I wasn't able to before. I love that story because I think that's exactly what Playful Humans is all about. I think your story, I resonate with a lot about the singer. Um, I've, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I wanted to be in radio. And then I found out 
being in radio is not a job you like. There's there's terrible hours. And like you said, being a professional singer, like, OK, well, I get I have to work nights every night. And that means, you know, I it's really hard to date if you're single or it's really hard to hang out with your family or every holiday you have performances and stuff. So every New Year's Eve, I'd have to work and, and be on the radio and things. And never get yes, to enjoy it's it. true. I'll let you like continue. Yeah. But I have to tell you, for me, it was I I. I, I don't know how much longer I can sing YMCA to a bunch of drunk wedding guests at <laughs> one in the morning. I mean, yeah. so I totally get what you're saying, but please go on. So you had. Yeah, uh, I've reached my my chicken dance and, and YMCA and electric slide <laughs> limits. That's and right. I yes. also knew kind of that, like you said, I wanted a, a full time job. I wanted some stability, but also. I don't know about you. I've never seen a cool like 40 year old DJ in a club, you know, so I knew that there was like a time limit on that, too. And that, that's one of the reasons I was in radio, but I didn't like that. And then I kind of did the same thing where I went to business and, and advertising and marketing and sales. And I, I love those skill sets. I love the job. It was cool, but it wasn't quite performing in front of other people and doing the stuff that I like. And I became the public speech giver. Uh, so we followed very similar tasks. And I, I found that public speaking and public performances is really what I love. But if you can bring that professionalism and the same skill set, it sounds like you study a lot and you really get into it too. And you're not just trying to be this completely free creative artist. Like I'm, I'm only expressing myself. You're, you're willing to work. You're willing to learn and invest in it. You can build your own career career in a lifestyle type business that you don't have to be the biggest audiobook publisher in the world to make really good money, have time to hang out with your friends and, you know, record when you want or spend time with your kids and family that that to me ends leads to a more interesting life and more fulfilling life than going all in on one or, or the other. I absolutely agree. Frankly, one of the things that I had to come to terms with when I was in my early 20s and at a, surrounded by um, by people who truly wanted to be stars, like they really uh, they wanted that that was their dream. And a really hard piece for me was having to admit that, no, whatever I did, it was going to be more behind the scenes and that somehow I was going to have to use this voice in a way that felt more authentic to me and just like just was um, uh, more comfortable, still highly expressive, but I didn't want the spotlight on me. And I completely concur that you do not have to be the best you don't have to be perfect to find work that's creative and fulfilling. It really depends on your priorities, though. I don't begrudge those people who had a single minded dream and have gone for it and to varying degrees made it or not make it. That's their path. But I'm also here to tell you that the balance or just the multiple priorities that you're talking about, they are uh, they're real, they're valid and they're people out in the world who are doing that. 
Including you. Well, that one thing I'd highlight out of that is that a lot of people, when they ask me about creative careers, and they're like, "Well, I heard there's not a lot of money in voice acting or in, in audiobook narration or radio or performing." Like I do. Well, there's not if you're bad, but there's not a lot of money in sales if you're bad at it either. You have to. Okay. You have to be a professional. You have to work at it. You have to work consistently. You know, and put yourself out there. And I love that you said you added the sales skills and the editing skills, and you. Got got the equipment, you invested in stuff to, to make this happen for you, which I think a lot of people also miss is you don't have to be the best, but you can't be the worst either. You have to have right. some sort exactly. of talent, affinity or effort into it. But Absolutely. just because you're putting effort in doesn't make it work either. It can be play if it's something that you love and enjoy. So that was going to be the second thing I wanted to ask you is you shared a couple of things about what you didn't like as a singer, but maybe more about right. what you didn't like as a performer and what you do love about being behind the scenes. What is it that attracts you specifically to audiobooks? Well, I love to tell stories and I love to read stories and I love to read stories aloud. So it was in terms of what drew me just as an art form to audiobooks. Um, it's a little simplistic to say I get to read for a living because there's so much more that goes into that. But I'm, I love that part um, of it, though. Uh, I always get to learn something new, um, especially, I mean, either if it's fiction or nonfiction, I get to learn. If it's fiction, I hear about another set of characters, a place, a time, everything that makes us love stories. If it's nonfiction, I get to hear about everything from how a woman uh recovered from alcoholism or found her way into a recovery program and alcoholism and, you know, how to, again, sell books on Amazon. So it's the constant learning that was a draw for me. And you also asked about um, what drew me to be out like from, behind the scenes. Singing. Yeah. How right. did you realize right. that you didn't like the spotlight or some of those other jobs that you had? And then I think right. what you realizing what you don't want in a career is just as important as right. realizing what you do want sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's some people who love to be on a stage in front of hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people and have a spotlight on them that feeds them that that gives them energy. Um, me, it didn't whether I was singing on a stage in an auditorium or on a little platform at a wedding, I was never comfortable singing in that specific environment. So, and that was a tough one to deal with, you know, it's ironic, but I didn't major in performance. I was, I was there on a performance scholarship, but I didn't major in performance in school. I ended up majoring, majoring in composition. So that, what does yeah. that tell you? Right. It's a behind the scenes. It's more thoughtful. And so that's been a theme. There is a unifying theme in all the careers I just described. And it's using my voice to either educate or in some way communicate with others. And so I like speech writing because it was behind the scenes. You're not the person delivering the speech. You are the one who gets to put, create the words, put them in the speaker's mouth, but then they go deliver it. So it, it, Frankly, it was a hard it was a hard thing to admit that I didn't want to be Mariah Carey. But once I was able to, it led me to other careers, each one of which has been um, enjoyable. And I've learned so much and has led me to the one that I like most of all. Yeah, Does that answer I, your question. Yeah, I love that so much. I'm the opposite on that. I've learned that. 
Um, I wrote, I ghost wrote a book for Sandler training and LinkedIn that got uh, over 80,000 copies, but my name's not even on it. And so as the ghost writer, uh, that was really tough for me. I, what I didn't like about radio was being in a room by myself, telling a really funny joke and hearing nobody laugh. But I can also relate to what you you said. And I did the same thing for e, e courses and other things. And it just, if I wasn't in them, if I wasn't the one on the video, it wasn't a, as fun for me. But I can relate where what I love doing best is producing fun for other people as well. So some people like comedians or musicians want to create the art and they want to be the show. I love hosting game shows, karaoke and other things where I'm facilitating fun for other people. And if I can kind of be the producer of a party that creates a, a cool environment for me, I get to see everybody else having fun and experiencing it. So I'm sort of, Opposite and then also in between uh, yeah. on that, where I don't necessarily want to be Mariah Carey, but I would love to like help produce a, um, you know, or introduce and, and host a festival where people are out there having fun and Mariah Carey's performing and so are other people. And I get to to be a part of that and do multiple jobs. I think that's kind of most fun. And I think that d should help, you know, the listeners here of today's podcast understand that. You get to pick, you get to design your career. So if you love to sing, but you don't love doing it in front of other people, then sing in a studio, be a studio musician right. and you get to play music. Uh, or there's other things like you said, I love what you mentioned about killing two birds with one stone. One of the reasons I love doing podcasts is I get to interview cool people like you and learn from you. And even if nobody listens to it, I love the conversation. I learned from the conversation. It builds value in my life, whether anybody listens to it or not. And I could see that with audiobooks. You're like, well, I have to read dozens of books a year. Oh, if I like reading and I'm learning from all of this, I'm getting paid to do that. And I'll just share one more thing and I'll let you give a final thought. But um, I always thought that when I was single, I was like, well, if I go host karaoke shows and DJ in, in bars and clubs, I'm getting paid to go out. I get free drinks. I'm making a couple hundred bucks. Everybody else is spending a couple of hundred bucks and I get to meet everybody in the room or at least everybody in the room gets to meet me. So my chances of, you know, finding my wife who I met at one of my shows um, happened as part of my plan. I was like, well, if I'm going to find somebody I need to meet thousands of people a week. How can I get paid to meet thousands of people a week? Put me in a cool spotlight and in a place that I love and get paid to do that. That's really cool. And I love what you said about audiobooks in that way, because I think anytime you can get multiple things happening at once, you can build a lot more value. Uh, yeah. to your career. So any other final thoughts, things we don't know? Uh, obviously, people can reach out to you at your website, SherrySaginor.com. If they want to make an audio book, if they want to get into audiobooks, uh, they need somebody to, to produce one for them or their company, they can reach out to you there. But any other uh, final thoughts, comments uh, on the conversation? I want to know if you've reached your happy medium. I actually love that you're you have a kind of balance, right? You've also, it sounds like, come on a journey from figuring out what you did like, didn't like, taking pieces of it. And now you're doing um, you've 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 got a whole bunch of um, um, co not cogs of the machine, but you have 
put together a work life that's um, that's fun and playful. So uh, where where are you in your in your own journey toward um, not perfection, but the ideal work life balance? Yeah, I think if it's that's not too personal, a really interesting question, because I don't think it's a balance. It's not like I got everything where I want now. Nobody move. I'm just going to keep this for a while. I think it's something that evolves. And so I would say really close right now. Working remotely is still a struggle for me because they don't have that human interaction. And like we said, with the behind the scenes thing. I have to really find other excuses to go out and have a social life and and to meet people and get out of the house. So that part is still a little challenging. But with Playful Humans and the creative stuff that I'm doing there, the game shows especially have given me that balance and pretty close. I would say almost as close as I can get some weeks. I do way too much performing and I'll be doing a, a public webinar and recording three podcasts and going on uh, you know, other podcasts and then teaching a class and it'll be a whole lot and I'll, I'll need to rest. I'll be exhausted. And then other times that week was just empty. I was on vacation last week. And so I spent it really, you know, focused uh, or, and I was sick, uh, too, where I didn't fill that cup at all. And so there are always weeks that are, or days that are unbalanced, but for the most part, I think I have all the pieces. It's kind of continuing to, to shuffle and juggle them in a way that stays interesting and stays compelling and is following the the passion and purpose that I have for my, my life. What about you? Uh, I think it's a, a better framing is not so much balance, but ev- evolution of evolving. Yeah. I can't sit here today and say that what I'm doing now is what I'm going to be doing in 10 years. Um, hopefully. And there have been bumps and, and, and bruises along the way. I mean, I, if, if I've described the trajectory is I had this job and then I like this job a little better and, and it's been, no, no. Some days, frankly, I'm in the booth and I haven't gotten as much done and I'm in a pass. I'm making mistake after mistake and I'm struggling with a phrase. It's, and those are days when it's a marathon. It, and so, yeah. Just like life, it's up and down, up and down. But I think you captured it when you said it's it's an evolution. And some days you're you're firing on all cylinders and other days you're sick and you need to rest. So so I agree with you. I found cold medication and recording stuff (laughs) does not work. One of my funniest bits, I'm going to share this and we're going a little bit over, but uh, we'll be all right here and play play a game here in a second. Um, I was on the radio and I took too much allergy medicine and I kept repeating the same thing. So I was like, I'm Romeo. We're hanging out here live at Price Chopper. Come on out and see us at the Price Chopper at 87th and uh, Lackman Road. We have special Price Chopper deals. And it was like 15 times in a 30 second live uh, remote spot. Oh, no, it was live. the, the producer right. back in the studio Could you tell him like, to come Romeo, down to chopper, sure price chopper. driving the prize van at this point. We might need to send somebody to come pick you up. And I had one of those oh days God, this week my... is why you reminded me. I was, uh, you know, recovering from a, a flu and I tried to record a, a one minute video for, for TikTok and, and social media. And it took me 15 tries. And I was like, today's not the day. Let me reset. I'm going to try again this afternoon. And, and that's OK. I think those are are funny. Even a bad day doing that's better than, you know, good days and a lot of other jobs or or uh, cubicles and things where you don't feel fulfilled. So uh, I love that you shared that as well. Are you ready to play the game? I am ready to play the game. All right. We're spinning the wheel. There are 10 uh, games in our wheel of games that it could land on. And you got 
Uh, oh, we haven't done this one in a while. It's the whisper challenge. So I'll go first and, and kind of show you how it's done. But basically, you're going to have to hit mute and then I'll hit mute and say a sentence and it'll it'll uh, you'll see it on the camera. You try and guess the sentence as many words as you get correct. Those are your point totals. And whoever gets the most words right wins. So uh, I'll repeat it twice here. Here's my sentence. All right, so that was it. It's one of my favorite quotes. I'll do it again for you. All right, what do you think that was? Okay, the last word might have been you. Um, you the you first word, the first word might have been me. So then maybe good, and then I have no idea. Uh, really close. So we'll give you two words correct. There, it was be so good they can't ignore you. That's the uh, the famous quote from Steve Martin, and I think it's a, yes. it's a great one to live by. Uh, all right, now your turn. Uh, you right. mute and and say something for me, and I'll see if I can beat two. Okay. I got that one. That's the placeholder text. That's the lazy fox jumped over the big brown dog or the other way around. Uh, oh, hello, Mike. You got to do better than that. Yeah. So did I nail it? You did not nail it. You, you're in the right neighborhood, you, oh, but you've it? got, I don't know the game though. Okay, don't you so have to like count how many it's the quick brown fox yeah. jumped over the lazy dog. So you'll have to tally your points on that. I was I don't off, know, but, but yeah, I think I, I got at least three you, words still, in there. So I went, you know, for our purposes, you nailed it. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, I win this week, but uh, I will still give you one chance to share any asks or gives for the audience. How can we help you or you help us? Yeah, let's see. In the show notes, I know you're going to put my website. Please find me on social. Um, you can message me through my website, sherrysaginor.com. And as I said uh, at the top, you, I um, if you're an author who has especially a self-published author who's thinking about um, creating an audio version of your book, please call me. I meant it when I said that I encourage authors who want to give this a try to do it themselves. I can answer any questions that you have about that. And then I'm, you can also hire me to, to produce it for you. So that's it. That's awesome. You need a consultation on an audiobook? Reach out to her at sherrysaginor.com. Again, for more information on Playful Humans, you can go to playfulhumans.com. We have a playfulness quiz where you can find out which of the 10 personality types you are. Maybe you are an athlete or um, maybe you like to solve puzzles or you like to produce happiness for other people like I do or explore or uh, any type of games, board games and, and table games. Go for find out at playfulhumans.com slash quiz. As always, you can share this podcast with somebody that you think needs to hear it. That would help us out a lot. And uh, subscribe, like, or give us a review. We'll see you next time. Don't wait for tomorrow. Live for today. Thanks, Mike. This was great. I had a blast. And go out and play. There you go. Go play, everybody. Thanks.